Hello, Dockalos, and top of the morning to ya. This is the last full episode before St. Patrick's Day, a day I often do nothing for. I definitely have some Irish blood up in this, but this year it falls on a Sunday and I get tired. Welcome to the Documenteers Podcast, the podcast about documentaries, where each week we discuss, laugh at, or with, and judge a different documentary. I am your host, Bob Sham, and I host every episode with a rotating cast of enthusiasts, but this episode is a little different. The movie we're discussing today was in the theaters about a month back from when this episode is dropping, and I did not make it out to view it. I think I caught a nasty bug if I'm remembering correctly, but fortunately, Angela and a special colleague slash friend did manage to make it, and they are here today to discuss the Dava Wizenant film about obsessive Letterman staff writer Steve Young, not the former 49ers quarterback, who seeks out and falls in love with a little thing called industrial musicals. Angela's joined by a friend of the show, Jeremy, to discuss the documentary, Bathtubs Over Broadway. Jeremy is obsessed with musicals, and industrial musicals are one-off musicals that companies used to put on for employees and executives at conventions who would often press a limited amount of vinyl to pass out to convention goers. These productions could often cost a good chunk of change and featured performers and choreographers and writers, some of whom went on to have huge careers and many others found their genius in boxes under tables and record stores until comedy writer Steve Young and some other obsessive fans of this odd musical subgenre came together to bring this crazy stuff back out into the world. Now, I won't be pulling main hosting duties. If this is your first episode, then that's fine. Listen on. Usually, I'm a lot more in it. But while I take a back seat, I am present in some way within the episode. Also, I'm still editing and producing the thing. That weight will never be lifted. Next week on the show, Angela and I will be discussing another baffling case of childhood sexual abuse with a documentary that was probably buzzing up until the premiere of Leaving Neverland. This story, though, is completely maddening in its own unique way. We're talking about the nearly unbelievable documentary that you can stream on Netflix right now called Abducted in Plain Sight by director Sky Borglin. That app has been in the can since before the airing of Leaving Neverland. And it's interesting the difference in reaction in those two movies that deal with the very same serious subject of childhood sexual abuse. That's next week here on The Documenteers. And afterwards, we will be taking a much needed break from that particular topic. But I'm sure as we dive deeper into true crime docs, we'll always find a way to rear its ugly head. A few pre-show credits for some musical snippets. The Germs, Dead Kennedys, Bobby Brown. That sounds like a fun concert. Also some brief bits of musicals with stuff from Fiddler on the Roof, She Loves Me, Phantom of the Opera, Music Man, and West Side Story. Not a lot of clips directly from the film because it's still in the theaters, hopefully somewhere near you. But what we do play a lot of brief clips from industrial musicals, the theme of this documentary. All the songs we play can be found throughout a three-album collection that Steve Young and Sport Murphy curated called Everything's Coming Up Profits, The Golden Age of Industrial Musicals. It's also a book as well as a bizarrely catchy music collection. You can get all that at places like Apple and Amazon and everywhere else you buy music. Maybe go find a physical copy. I bet the liner notes are fun. Take your fascinations on the subject, over to industrialmusicals.com for more on songs about bathroom faucets. 
Flux this also, because I'm not on most of it, happens to be a fairly clean episode, with the exception of some sexual suggestion, but it's sexual suggestion that stems from something that's really quite innocent. We just can't keep our mind out of the gutter in our modern context. But we'll say this episode is, is equivalent to a PG. So for that, I won't mark explicit. Although I noticed Apple still marked March of the Penguins explicit. I don't know. I'm telling you now, this episode ain't so bad. Speaking of Apple, if you give us five stars and a fun review on Apple Podcasts, we'll post it on Instagram and the Documenteers website. Just saying, people are getting into this. That said, let's get into the glory days of corporate-funded musical theater. Angela and Jeremy present Dava Wizenant's Bathtubs Over Broadway. Find the juice over at documenteerspodcast.com and keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Everybody was doing these things. Giant companies, tiny companies. If the patient gets bloody. And found some sort of treasure trove that we weren't supposed to know about at all. It's the way I'm thrilled to be here. Prior to knowing you, we've known each other three years-ish I think plus. so, yeah, yeah. Prior to knowing you, I was not a documentary person <laughs> or a podcast person, and that has changed since I have known you. Aww. I still probably watch more documentaries than I do podcasts, but I'm slowly in 2019 getting into podcasting and I'm thrilled to be here with the documenteers. That's awesome. I totally like took that as though I was I got credit for that, but you should. I mean, you know, I do talk about documentaries and podcasts pretty much constantly. Constantly. So yeah, so you're here with the documenteers in Shamco Studios. That's what we call this. Woohoo! For those listening, this is a little bit different because hi, Bob Sham's not here, and. Angela is in the driver's seat, so we're taking over the podcast, and we're going to talk about a documentary today that is in theaters. So this is like hot off the presses, in theaters documentary, Bathtubs Over Broadway, directed by Dava Winsnet. It is the story of Steve Young, this guy who discovered this crazy underground culture. Yeah, this crazy underground culture. Of industrial musicals. Everything's coming up, it goes. Right. So we, I mean, I think I'm here because I love musical theater. Yeah. It is America's art form. I, I love musicals. We can talk about that a little bit more Absolutely. later. Absolutely. But who knew while these major pieces of art were going on in New York City, uh-huh. On the Great White Way, that yeah. underground in major cities in the world, millions of dollars in the 60s and 70s were being spent on sales, on, on musicals to promote sales or to promote your organization or to promote your business. Yeah. To empower the people. It's so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. And so these are like full scale. Sometimes they were... 
musicals with like known music and just lyrics rewritten to be about the products. But on the whole, and the stuff that is like the most fascinating are literally full scale musicals completely written, original about these products. And just to like kind of go back a little bit, like how this kind of started was Steve Young worked on the David Letterman show. He worked for David Letterman for like 25 years. He was there until the doors closed. Dave talks about him like he's been there since the beginning. Like yeah. He's been there forever. Yeah. Dave also um, produced this, executive producer on this, which was pretty cool. And you see him in the documentary. There's a lot of really good interviews. So Steve was in charge of finding clips for David Letterman's record collection. We're going to uh, start things off tonight with uh, some of my records from my very own record collection. <laughs> Introduction music for yeah. this, Paul. Dave's record collection. It's wider than a mile. <laughs> That's the How point. About that? What is the point? We've done too many shows. That's <laughs> it, isn't it? We've just, we've come to our last show. Tonight is our last <laughs> show, ladies and gentlemen. That was what the skit was called. And I remember seeing this sometimes. Like, he still did this a little bit, like, through the years or things like this. It's a very sort of common Right, it was like a regular kind of bit. Uh, Anthony Quinn, uh, Just How Much Do I Love You? Let's listen now to a cut, Just How Much Do I Love You, from Anthony Quinn's In My Own Way, I Love You is the name of the uh, record. And the cut we're going to listen to, Just How Much Do I Love You? Let's just, here it is. Just How Much Do I Love You? Uh -huh. Just how much do I love you? That's right. I really don't know. <laughs> I only know this. I only know this. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Well, you think you could have learned the words before they recorded the song. Like, mm -hmm. and I believe like one of the first albums that he ever found was of William Shatner teaching people how to type. Yes. I please don't quote me on that like 100% but I feel like I, I read that that like that was one of the first albums that he was going through a record store in New York City and found yeah. William Shatner singing teaching people how to type which is which just that alone is crazy and also that that was like a serious thing that Shatner did because that was the whole thing is Steve said he wasn't trying to find stuff that was trying to be funny mm -hmm. like he's not going to pick up a thing that's like here's a record of crazy noises you know like <laughs> or whatever i'm trying to think oh hang on hang on hang on hello hey hey we're trying to record this podcast right now hey I'll, where, where's the milk <laughs> um it should be in the refrigerator i haven't checked there yet you didn't check where have you checked the stove um the dog I came out. It's pretty cold, but I'm about to drive into a tunnel. I gotta let you go. Oh, bye. Does he do that for fun? <sighs> he just interrupts your podcast like that. Well, is that a he's usually in here, uh -huh. so I think that his whole thing is that he wishes he was in here, so he's going to call us. And Why check isn't in. he in here? He, he can... says he's asking about milk. 
I don't know, cause cause I he said I could do this, and so I'm taking this one over. But then he's gonna call it's back fine. to the story. No big. David Letterman, William Shatner teaching people how to type, singing a song, and he didn't intend to do it. And so it wasn't that it was funny, like it was serious. And so that was the thing Steve got into trying to find like the most obscure records that Dave could make fun of on the show. And that's where he found, did he find The Bathrooms Are Coming? Was that the first one he found? I think it was one of the earliest ones, though his he made a jokes, references to it with his family and they didn't think it was a real thing. Yeah, there's a part where he shows his, that shows his kids mm-hmm. and his daughters, one of them kind of talks more than the other one right. does, but they were very sweet. But yeah, she thought like, this is just a crazy thing my dad is obsessed with, and it's not even a real thing. I thought he made it. I up. thought he made it up too. She didn't understand until later when this started becoming a thing that it was true and real and not just something her dad kind of made up as a joke. My bathroom, my bathroom is a private kind of place. Very special kind of place. Piggyback on what you just said, I don't think Steve knew what he was getting himself oh, into. No. Now he's a very, um, he seems to have a very unique personality, mm-hmm. kind of a little off the beaten path for sure. He's a comedy writer. We'll give him that. But he stumbled on this weird thing and he started listening to these weird album titles that he would find and he would fall in love with like find himself maybe fall in love is not the right word but oh would, no i think he did well he does yes <laughs> but at first i think he just found himself listening to some of these songs like oh that's a funny title yeah and let me listen to this and then oh well that's kind of hummable that's kind of got a nice little sound to it there's several pieces of music throughout the whole film that remind me of the golden age of musicals yeah What you want it to PDM can show what you need to know Through your distribution system Our sensors can be Giving information automatically Can you tell me Kilowatt hour consumption and demand? Can do Can do And why? Because they were written by The golden age of musicals people This is what they oh, did yeah. in their downtime There was like the story that he told that fascinated me where he didn't really know the musical world and he'd gotten really kind of, he'd been doing comedy writing for so long that he didn't even really find anything interesting or funny anymore. It took a lot to impress him or, you know, he'd say everybody would be rolling and he'd just kind of smile in the corner, you know, at a joke. And he tells this story about how he had no hobbies before this, how there was this time before his kids were born when he had a week off work. And his wife had to work. And he had two days of stuff where he he did everything he wanted to do. And he got to day three. And he spent a lot of time drinking. And he just drank. But he said he had four drinks. <laughs> and then he went home and the room was spinning. And he laid down because he didn't, he literally had nothing else to do. Crazy. And so this kind of filled that void. But like he's looking at these records and he's seeing these names that he doesn't know who these people are mm-hmm. until he starts really like researching who is Cantor and Ebb. When it all comes true, just the way you planned. 
shocking, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> who, who is Sheldon Harnick? Which star I wonder is glistening just for me. Right. I mean, Fiddler on the Roof. That's right. See, some of it I'm not super good at. Like, I should know more than I do because I did theater in college and my career is like associated, but I don't know that much. I mean, like, Kander and Ebb or like Cabaret, Chicago. I was in She Loves Me in college. Were you? I played Alona. Alona. Mm hmm. Interesting. I sang that little. I resolve not to be so stupid. It was not a very great song because she was kind of a dumb mm-hmm. character, but by the end, she found true love. I did. I was supposed to do Fiddler on the Roof in college. Mm. I was going to play Model the Tailor. I had my high school drama teacher kind of fell sick while I was in college, and I was involved with some theater programs back there and at the high school where I went to high school. And I stepped out of that role, but it was one of the most beautiful productions I've ever seen. And I really hated I wasn't a part of it. But quick side note. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I Cabaret is one of my favorite shows ever and they did it the year after I left college and I was like heartbroken. Hey folks, interrupting Bob Sham here just to say uh, that uh, I don't know what they're talking about. So it's a good thing I'm not the main host of the show. Now back to the show. This is why we love the theater. We love musical theater because there's as much drama going on backstage (laughs) as there is on stage. There are lots of stories I could tell about the old theater world in college. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, if you think of anything as we go along. Oh, I can think um, of some. Sure. (laughs) So, you know, on the weekends and in his spare time, he just starts going around to these record stores trying to find more of these records. Through the years, he happens upon a few other people who also have have stumbled upon these records. The one guy who sort of, he becomes his mentor, I can't remember his name, do you? He was like a young guy, he's in the theater ones. It's like, we are going to get things wrong, we are not going to know names, we might say a show title that is not what it was, but yeah, we're not going to get it all right, and that is 1000% okay. I would say... Well, we'll talk about later whether we think people should watch this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say yes. I think it's a good one. And I think if you're interested in this at all, I would go check it out. There's this guy, eventually he he starts showing him like with his friends and they are starting to collect. There's this adorable part where they just bust out into song. Yeah. Singing about, is it from the, what's the Diesel the, record? Oh, Diesel. Diesel Dreams or... Diesel Dazzle. We were there when the thirsty desert drank, when the city began to throb. We were there on the dunes and the river bank, with the diesel to do the job. They're in this guy's record room, but they just, one of them starts singing and the other one starts singing, and they're so perfect and know it so well that in the movie they bring the music up under them. We were there. It's as if, okay, look, humor me for a minute, yeah. Angela. If I were a rich man. All day long, if I were a wealthy man. Good, good. Okay, give me a give me a musical theater song and I'll see if I can join in with you. Phantom of the Opera is Okay, totally. Like, that's and exact- you just know it. I just know it. Whereas this guy is like singing a song about silicones and silicones are great to shop for and they're great on your car. I just made that up. No, absolutely. But, but they were like 
truly singing along together these weird lyrics and there is a song in the movie about silicone. About sil- all the uses of silicone. The furniture molding that you see here would not have been possible in yesteryear. But now with our TV, we've got those molds down cold. And vinyl shoes can also use a perfect mold. Silicones are just a must. They're also used on the lunar dust when man walked on the moon. Picking up stones, the soles of his boots were made of silicones. Weird. Totally weird. There's also the one that I think we all started singing after we saw the preview, which was just, everything's coming up, sit, go. And that was, I mean, like that has been playing in my head on right. loop. Which is a reference to Gypsy. Which right. Everything's, everything's com- coming up roses, up roses. Which I found out really, I found this preparing because I came, I'm I'm an A-B student and like prepared <laughs> to come. You know, I did a little bit of research after seeing awesome. the film was kind of a normal thing to rewrite songs for these industrial musicals. Totally makes sense. But there was one person who it happened to who kind of put a damper on things, and that's when they started having to write original music. Oh, like a copyright issue? Yeah. So um, Meredith Wilson, who wrote The Music Man, one of my favorite shows, probably the Best show I ever did in college. <laughs> I played Marcellus Washburn, who sang Shapoopy. There was oh, that a, yeah. Yes. A few girls around college used to call me the Shapoopy guy. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> really, what I want to be known for. But anyway, he wrote the music to the Music Man, and in that show, there was a song called Trouble. Oh, you got trouble right here in River City. Why, sure, I'm a billiard player. Certainly, mighty proud to say I'm always mighty proud to say it. That song. Yeah. And. The story that I read was that Sheldon Harnick of Fiddler, who's, who made a considerable amount of money from doing these industrial shows, yeah, called his buddy Meredith up and said, oh, Meredith, we just heard this industrial show. They were using trouble. You got to hear the lyrics from it. Well, they didn't ask Meredith Wilson if they could redo it. Mm. And so there was a lawsuit, but I don't really know what happened to that. But at that point, they did kind of say, we have to start writing our own music. Hi, interrupting Bob here. Uh, just want to say that The Music Man is one of the few musicals I've seen. I've probably have seen less than 10 in my life. My favorite is probably Bye Bye Birdie. All right, back to the show. But then that's where the more some of the more interesting stuff came from, right? Mm-hmm. So they're talking to, you know, these other collectors. I just wanted to mention real quick, it blew my mind and I thought it was so amazing that two of the guys who are big collectors of this of this stuff is Don Bowles who is a drummer for the Germs and Jello Biafra of the Dead Kennedys and so these are like hardcore punk scene dudes who are obsessed okay you got another call? Yeah. Hello? Hey. Hi. Hey, I forgot to tell you that we got a sponsor. Oh, yeah? It is pretty great that you're actually on this episode. They requested you specifically. They request it's Dorito. It's Doritos. You've heard of Doritos, right? I mean, yeah, I've heard of Doritos, but why does Doritos, why cool did they request me? Cool Ranch or me? Nacho Cheesy or who? Oh, yeah, that Which matters. Part? It does. What's the flavor? Well, all of them. You got... Uh, nacho cheese, classic. Classic. Taco. Extreme. Cool Ranch. The Extreme the series. Jack flavors. Oh, Jack. That's what I was thinking of. So I was thinking, 
Doritos was thinking that maybe you guys could come up with a, like a song on the spot about Doritos, incorporate their flavors. They also have a new tagline they want to use called Get Cheese. Get Cheese? Get Cheese. Hmm. Okay. If you could just somehow incorporate like Cool Ranch Jacks, they got all those Jack flavors that they call Jack. It's like Doritos Extra, you know? Yeah. So I got a little like. So yeah, mm. you guys could just do something with that, do a commercial for that. And you got to say, it's and Got it's Cheese. That's the lyric. Got Cheese. It's Got Cheese. Get Cheese. Get, Get Cheese. Cheese, duh. Okay. Get Cheese, duh. Okay. So I'm thinking like, I like Cooler Ranch and I like Nacho Cheese. What do you like, Angela? Get Cheese. Get Cheese. <laughs> That it worked. worked. It worked. And that I, worked. Could, I felt I felt it. I think I mean I think we could workshop that a little bit. We could. It needs a little I bit like of a cool workshop. I like cool ranch. I like nacho cheese. So we're rhyming cheese with cheese. Yeah, but I like cool ranch. I like nacho cheese. Okay, really? Yeah, really. Let's get back. Look, he's just trying to interrupt us. No, I'm not. He says that we have this Doritos sponsorship. We do. I will believe it when I see the money. True. And then we will write a song. They give me some money. We'll go buy a bag of cheese. Nacho cheese. Nacho cheese. Doritos. Doritos. There are a lot of words. What words rhyme with Doritos? Doritos. Fritos. But that sounds like that's Mm -mm. like a conflict of interest. Um, Toes. Doritos. Moe's. I have got like, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair running through my head. And I don't know why I'm trying to make that work. I'm going to wash that that cheese right off of my hands. (laughs) <laughs> Which is a problem. It yes. is a problem. If anyone has ever had a nacho cheese Dorito, I'm going to wash that cheese right off of my hands. I'm going to wash that cheese right off of my hands. I'm going to lick that cheese right <laughs> off of my hands. Cheese. Get cheese tonight. Tonight. Dramatic license. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Anyway, getting back to, so we were just talking about like these other collectors. The other guy worth mentioning is a guy named Sport Murphy. He is funny because he's the one that talks about how when he was trying to collect these, every time he bid on anything at all, he always got outbid by this same guy. So, so quick backstory. You're, what you're talking about is that these unique, hard to find albums were being sold on eBay. Yes. And they were always coming up and there was consistently one bidder with the name Pants Steve. That's right. (laughs) Who was outbidding him every single time. And they eventually connected. Yes. And like, dude, why? who is Pants Steve and why are you interested in this? Yeah. Why are you trying to buy the same record I know you bought last week? Like he would also like get the same things over and over again. When he met Don Bowles, it was sort of because he just walked up to, I think he was at a flea market or somewhere. And he just said, hey, have you ever heard about this? And he said he'd gotten to the point where he would ask everyone. No one ever knew about these industrial musicals. And yet Don Bowles is like, oh yeah, I've got this one. I've got this one. I've got, you know, the bathrooms are coming. I've got diesel dreams or whatever it diesel was dazzle. diesel dazzle and so immediately it was like we should be friends so it's such a small community that when one of these guys finds each other they are friends for life right and these guys they just get so excited talking about this stuff it's just there's like this twinkle especially in steve's eye that he gets and then yeah like the whole ebay thing made it a little bit easier to find stuff mm-hmm. but there's still certain albums they know are out there that they couldn't find so Steve starts contacting people who were 
in these. Yes. Like he looks at the names. Looking at the liner notes within the albums and in the the technological age, he's getting on the computer, finding out whatever he can find out about these people. I think he assumed at first that quite a few of these people would be dead or nobodies, but he finds some big names. Cheetah Rivera. Cheetah Rivera, hello. Puerto Rico. Martin Short. Oh, I hear he's fun. Who I love. Yes. And uh, Florence Henderson, Carol Brady. Don't let a be back get away. Don't let a slow decider say, I'll be back tomorrow. Cause I can't decide today. Susan Stroman. Susan Stroman, yeah. a big deal choreographer. Susan Stroman won, to me, one of the, her biggest contributions to musical theater was so many things, but I would definitely say the producers. Oh, she, yeah, I didn't know that. She's a director choreographer, and she essentially cut her teeth directing and choreographing these industrial musicals because what was happening is, okay, so there's this one statistic that I think a lot of people talk about if they've seen this film, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler. Mm-mm. Julie Andrews is performing in My Fair Lady at the time. Julie freaking Andrews. Yeah. A big Broadway title. $500,000 to mount that production for a run, like an open-ended run in New York City in the 60s. What's going on over at McDonald's? I don't know if McDonald's is going on in the 60s, but here. like There at, was a Hardee's musical There was sure. a Hardee's musical. Yeah. Uh, what's going on in these industrial musicals? People are spending three-ish million dollars mm-hmm. in the 1960s for a musical that's going to run for a weekend at a conference. Yeah, maybe even only performed one time, depending on what it is. Like some of these would be mounted for like a, one national sales conference. And then it was over. Some of these shows would go on tour. You might have one filmed version of it somewhere out in the world, but, you know, it was performed multiple times in all these regional markets. The whole idea of it was these people who are out there busting their butts, selling these products to like reinvigorate them, get them excited again about these products so they can go back home and be like, hell yeah, I'm going to sell the crap out of these faucets. Yeah. You know? We're going to silicone the heck out of these parts we've got the best lug nuts that ever lugged (laughs) cause a tractor driving man finds the richest reward when the tractor tractor that he's driving that he's driving is a fool that's exactly it. And if you were there, you saw it and it was cool. And maybe you told your wife about it and she was like, whatever, or your husband. There was even a point where they talked about, I can't remember, I think it was maybe the Hardys one. It The main character was like this middle manager who had lost his drive to do his job. Like he was feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life anymore. And the whole Very thing, relatable. Very absolutely. Absolutely. To so many people out there then and now, you know, but the whole thing was kind of building him up. And then all of a sudden, like, you're identifying with this guy, but then this guy is becoming like the hero who can save the day, who can like turn the situation around. And then, you know, by the end of it, like, 
you are also the hero because this was about you. Like that's a super powerful message. Also going to somewhere like a conference, you kind of get a jolt anyway because you're around people who do what you do. Everyone understands what you're doing. You're drinking the Kool-Aid. Drinking the Kool-Aid. They're they're speaking to you. They're like, oh yeah, I'm having this problem. They're like, oh girl, (laughs) I have the same problem and this is how I fixed it. And then all of a sudden you're like, what? You couldn't do that either? And they're like, oh, you're, oh yes. Yeah, and there's just this huge camaraderie. Mm -hmm. And so the the- what happened was these shows would get performed and then they wanted you to sort of take it back home, right? So you would get this commemorative record that would be just for you. It would be like, Jeremy, this is your record. Angela, this is your record. But no one else gets these records. And so that's why these are so hard to find now is that 1,000 people in 1961 might have gotten one record. Yeah. And then who knows what happened to those records? Well, I have to admit, if I got a record after one of our conferences, it would probably find its way to the Goodwill bin pretty quickly. I can't imagine. It totally could. I mean, now, granted, there were a few musicals within this documentary mm-hmm. I think I wanted to see. I imagine a lot of them found their way, uh, you know, garbage. Or the garbage bin. Yeah. 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 Someone's attic still yet to be found. Exactly. And and that's why when Steve starts calling these people up, like, hey, you were in this. Do you have a copy or do you have any copies of other shows you did? Because a lot of times these folks would like work this circuit. I think it was even Susan Stroman who maybe said the thing about how like you might be doing whatever you're doing for your career. But if you could do four of these industrial musicals a year, you could survive in New York. For sure. You know, and so this was a huge boost for these people and there were people who toured with these musicals for years for decades also even them like they were in it and they still didn't necessarily keep any copies of it right because it was just a job right you know and it was just something weird that they did that no one really understood Mm -hmm. and no one really took that seriously and then there was even the one composer who wrote like 250 of these Sid Siegel the only place stay making faces at my face my bathroom Sid Siegel he wrote like 250 of these um prolific writer yeah for sure like that was his job Sonny and Cher had their show on a regular basis Carol Burnett had her show on a regular basis Sid Siegel had regular industrial shows absolutely I love that scene. Steven pulls up, Steve, Steven pulls up to the house where Sid lives there. And he's an older gentleman. And and Steve is kind of nervous about meeting. He makes a statement about, they say you should never meet your heroes. Right. Because he's so in love with this. He's so in love with this idea of meeting all these people who've written this music that he's enamored with. Mm -hmm. And he shows up and the camera's off to the side. and. Oh, hi. How are you? They, he comes to the door. Well, uh, give my regards to Broadway. Wasn't that the doorbell? There's the doorbell. Uh, that was funny. And uh, he comes to the door. Sid does. And um, he's like, oh, nice to meet you. And then who are those guys? And then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those are those are the documentary guys. Those are the documentary guys. <laughs> I swear I thought he said documenteers. But oh, well, maybe he did. Product placement. <laughs> 
which is what these musicals were all about product placement. it was all product placement yeah it was all product placement yeah he started meeting um the actresses from these shows we haven't really talked about the bathrooms are coming and i feel like we have to just for like a moment let's come back to it really okay. quickly let's come back because what i wanted to say is that with would you say sid siegel yeah sid siegel sid siegel what i wanted to say about this is that you can tell the documentary is capturing their first interaction, but what you, and it's kind of awkward. It's kind of forced a little bit, but eventually Steve speaks at his funeral because he becomes such an yeah. important part of their like family, their extended family. Yeah. And so that that's where I wanted to go with that statement really quickly before Absolutely. we jump into the bathrooms. Because the bathrooms are coming. The bathrooms are coming. Quite literally. Cream. This entire documentary just made me happy. Yes. And I went to see it alone. Aww. And there were so many people around me who also, like, we were laughing at the same moments. Like, people got excited. Like, same thing like you talked about when Ragoletto. Like, mm. I could feel the people around me going like, oh, we want to see this. I mean, it just, that's how you felt. But when he actually spoke at Sid's funeral, that I cried. It was just so sweet because Steve talks in that moment about how, you know, and I, I kind of went off on a tangent just because I started thinking about how he started meeting all these people through this and like talking to these actors and actresses and these composers. We'll talk about Hank Beebe in a moment. He was a very prolific industrial writer as well. I have lots to say well. about Hank Beebe, a very poetic, artistic moment in the movie that brought like made me choke up, but we'll get to him in a second. Absolutely. The reason I started crying when he spoke at Sid's funeral was because he talked about how, you know, he he went under this endeavor because he didn't have any hobbies. Like he didn't have anything to do. And when he started reaching out to these people, it was truly from a collector point of view. He was just calling up these people saying, do you have more of these? Can I get more records from you? Do you have videos? Can I see them? He never thought for a second that he was going to make friends. Mm. Hey, Bob, we are seriously recording a podcast here. It's my bad. I totally forgot the you... whole original point of the Doritos ad campaign. Oh, yeah? They're unveiling a new flavor. They have all those great flavors we all love. But we're supposed to talk about this new flavor they're coming out with called Asiago Coconut. That sounds disgusting. Yeah, that sounds really and gross. Careful, I don't want to have to edit out too much. So, and, and if I don't know if you've sung the song yet, but maybe sing one. They've got their own tagline for Asiago Coconut. Yeah? It's called... <laughs> Get it together. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm busy. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> We're just going to let that go. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he'll call us back. He probably will. So yeah, Steve never thought for a second that he was going to create friendships from this endeavor. He he pretty much like worked and he had his wife and his kids and that he was good. And then he had his record collection and he had these few close friend dudes that he met through this process. Right. But he never thought for a second that he would become ingrained in these people's lives. And there's kind of a table at Sid's funeral where there's all these pictures of Sid with different people at different times. And he's there. Steve is in one of these photos. There's also a book, Sport Murphy, the guy we were talking about, the collector. And Steve wrote a book called Everything's Coming Up Profits, the Golden Age of Industrial Musicals. And that was in like 2013. And he did that with the help of all these people. And I'm sure we can talk about that more, but 
there was a picture of like Sid holding the book and he just, he made the comment that it's very touching that I, yeah. Sorry, I had an allergic reaction uh, that last time, but I was saying the new Asiago coconut bread has its own tagline. <laughs> Bobby, I was seriously like talking about a very serious moment. Oh, I need you to like get it together and say what you're gonna say, because uh, I'm trying to have nuts. a podcast. Cheese nuts is the new tagline for Asiago Coconut. Cheese and nuts. The song, if you could talk about how brave Doritos is for unveiling this new flavor, I'd really appreciate it. I'm about to go into a tunnel, and I, I won't call you again. <laughs> okay. All right. But yeah, I think I was done. Just to kind of put a button on that, just to say that it was very touching to me how emotional Steve got at Sid's funeral talking about how he didn't expect this to be such a huge thing in his life and actually make these human connections. Right. Was it at the funeral or right after the funeral that he was talking about what these songs could have been? Oh, probably around the same time. You mean like... Just in the film. The quality. Yeah, like the quality of these songs. Like like these songs, they they feel very familiar. You can listen to the different clips... And I have not gone and listened to a lot of these songs outside Mm -hmm. of what I was exposed to in the film, but they feel familiar. They sound like something you've heard before, which is a hallmark of a good songwriter. More efficiency and economy as Ford helps lighten each chore and this year more than ever before. The lyrics are pushing lawnmowers. More power to you with the power master, the workmaster and the power major too. How can I sell another lawnmower today? Or how can I fix this nut on the back of my truck? There was even that one thing about three pickles versus four pickles. And I think it was like in a burger. In the Hardee's or Burger Hardee's maybe? I don't remember. It was a burger. Yeah. Hardee's was referenced. McDonald's was referenced. And Burger King was as well. But Okay, I couldn't remember that. but, But still, like what these songs could have been for some of these writers. Yeah. With legitimate lyrics and i hate to say legitimate like that to say like to completely poo poo but you know like and i think this is what was so admirable to me about these writers whether where whether they were the sheldon harnicks mm-hmm. or the or the sid seagulls or just the joe schmoes that found their way into this this writing is they said you know what i've got to write a musical about a toothbrush but it's going to be the best damn musical about a toothbrush that i've ever written and that anyone is ever going to write Because I've got to write about a toothbrush. Absolutely. These guys were not phoning it in. And neither were these actors. They were really giving it their all. There's this performance about dog food. And this lady is giving it full Anne-Margaret sex appeal on this stage. Talking about selling dog food. I mean, and she is into it. And it is serious. And it is good. You know, and there's this choreography. I mean, we're talking about mentioned Susan Stroman. Like, there's like some serious stuff going down. And she tells that funny joke about how she was trying to choreograph the beer bottles. Beer bottles. Yeah, like they, they, one of the performers, literally full out, full costume of beer bottles. They're dancing around, mm-hmm. and one of the 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 performers just falls down flat. I'm like, oh, that's a funny bit. Because she couldn't get back up. She couldn't get back up. And so she ended up writing it into the whole musical of these beer bottles performers falling over and not get. And I think that was really, really cool that they were able to maybe 
cut their teeth yes. on some of these weird shows that quite frankly, nobody cares. Yeah. They're able to use those building blocks that they started with and really go on to much bigger and better things. You have to have that little playpen or sandbox to start out with Mm -hmm. where you can make mistakes because you know what? I just got to do it. I got to do the best I can do with what I'm given. And then you go with it. Yeah. Just being able to try things. Right. Which is why it's so amazing and I'm so happy that this documentary has come out now because I heard the Fresh Air interview when the book came out. I remember this. Mm -hmm. And then when I heard that the documentary was coming out, I was super excited about it. Didn't realize it was only going to play here in our town for like one weekend. Do you want to talk about BB now? Yeah, we can talk about Hank BB. I don't necessarily have a whole lot to say about him or his writing. Okay. Um, I was actually surprised to find out at the end of the film when they do mention the people who've passed in the creation of this film, mm-hmm. like Florence Henderson is no longer living. There are a few others. Who- Had Hank Beebe passed I, as why? well? I don't know. He didn't. Like, okay, I was su- he didn't. Yeah, I was surprised that he's still alive, to be mm-hmm. honest. But uh, Well, and I think Steve was pleasantly surprised that these guys were still around. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So there is a point in the film where... Steve is talking about writing, getting the opportunity to write music with Hank. Like that's something that he's pursuing now. Yes. This, and, and I would say Hank is probably at 20, 30 years his senior, mm-hmm. right? Like quite a few years older than yeah. Steve. Um, at one point, Steve talks about like, well, do you have anything else? Like, do you have? And then they go into a closet. Maybe it's an attic. Oh, yes. Oh, and this... It's almost too pretty, like it's almost too cinematic, but they go into this closet and Steve is like climbing this janky ladder in the closet and there's some old boxes up there Mm -hmm. and there's an old man, Hank Beebe, looking up at this younger man, looking into these boxes and this is the stuff that didn't make the cut. This is the stuff that Hank had spent his energy his life on writing some music that had found its way into boxes Mm -hmm. that he didn't really have he didn't know what to do with anymore but then steve looks at this with like a child on christmas day kind Mm -hmm. of look this is your music you have more it speaks volumes to me about what it is to be an artist yeah and to give it your all on so many things and you're pounding the pavement day in day out and who knows if anything you ever you ever do is going to be noticed but to somebody your garbage or your forgotten dreams is somebody's like golden treasure yeah and it was that moment where i really found myself like and i'm i'm getting like chills and like kind of tearing up talking about it because so many people we all have these dreams and aspirations of what we want to accomplish mm-hmm. and sometimes we, we get them sometimes we get awfully close but that just was very poetic for me it was beautiful it was just the way it was shot it could have been completely staged but it looked beautiful i don't think it was because i agree and like you said it was very cinematic but it was very you know it was dark and he was climbing up this ladder and they were just talking to each other it was really really cool also, I thought when they were sitting at the piano singing together, mm-hmm. 
and Hank's playing. And Hank didn't actually remember all the words. Right. But Steve knew them. 100%. And so Steve was like carrying the melody, but Hank still remembered how to play. He wasn't looking at music. It was just in his brain. And so were all those other songs that were in those boxes, you know? Like that's amazing to me also to be able to... 50 years later, 60 years later, someone hums a tune to you and it's just there. Mm -hmm. That is amazing to me, that kind of magic that musicians have where they can hear something once or like recall it so perfectly. And it's just like muscle memory. Yeah, for sure. I hate musicians actually. Like <laughs> the only thing I can play are the vocal cords. <laughs> um, but if I watch somebody play the piano, oh, I get so jealous. Yeah. My mom was, uh, I always hold this against my mom. I doubt my mom will listen to this podcast, but uh, she grew up playing piano uh -huh. and she hated piano lessons and she swore that her children would never learn how to play. They would never be forced to play. Oh no. Yeah. I do uh, lovingly half seriously hold a grudge against my mother about piano. Watching um, Hank Beebe play the piano while uh, Steve's just sitting there singing along. And beaming. Beaming. Yeah, and then it was really cool, too, at the end. They wrote a song. They wrote a song. And full-out perform it with bright colors, glitter. There was a lot of glitter. It it was a big finale musical finish. I mean, yeah. it, that, it, was, it was the button th that was the big finish on a movie about weird musicals. Steve's a little pitchy. He's a little pitchy. He's a little pitchy. He was definitely the weakest link in the vocal area. He was. But there's Jello Biafra's there, like Don Bowles is there, the ladies from bathrooms, which, okay, real quick, side note bathrooms, and then we'll come back to the finale. Sounds good. My bathroom, my bathroom. The bathrooms are coming. They are. They talk about it a lot through the show. It is... A musical about bathrooms. There is a video of bathrooms and they show quite a lot of clips. This is one of the ones we have kind of the most clips from. He finds a couple of the ladies who were actually in that show and gets to be friends with them as well. I'm not going to try to sing bathrooms, but where I can get away from all and really feel. We'll play a little bit of the it musical, for you. The musical was for American Standard Faucets. The bathrooms are coming. It's just so funny to say. I know. It has an, and it has an amazing album cover. There's like a caveman who's like, there's a broken toilet. The caveman yeah. with the broken toilet. There's like a like a country guy with like his jug of moonshine. Yeah, his spittoon or his jug of moonshine. Yeah, and then the, the big clip that, especially the trailer has banked on and they do not give away all of the good stuff. No. But is this performer, this female actress looking at herself in a mirror and singing my bathroom. Making faces at my face. My bathroom. My bathroom. It's a very special place. The only place where I can stay. Do we go there? Do we finish it out? I'm free. I'm free. I've closed out the world. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Now at last. 
I cream where and I, I dream. Where I cream and dream, which... <laughs> where I wash and where I cream. You know, just in 2019, it just doesn't <laughs> quite mean the same. Cream. Uh, no, I mean, she means like Maxima. Cream. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, the 60s were progressive, <laughs> but I still believe in a little bit of innocence. Yeah. And, and I, I believe they were a little more innocent about it. was. Creaming and dreaming in the bathroom in the yeah. 60s. But uh, he had, he being Steve, had difficulty finding living performers or connections because none of these performers, and we're going to get to this another part. This is a big, a big, another, another moment where it was just like humanity and I wanted to cry. A lot of these performers in that show had not ever become famous. They were not the Cheetah Rivera's and the, Martin Shorts. And let's really quickly side note, those big names mm-hmm. are so little in this film. Like oh, yeah. They're they're literally blips. They don't talk to them a whole whole lot. But back to the bathrooms are coming. My bathroom. He found the film. Yeah. On YouTube. And where someone had commented on the YouTube right. that, that my aunt sang this song. Right. And through the amazing thing called the internet, he like sent a friend request, replied on the on the message on the YouTube video, and was like, Oh, I'd like to learn more about your aunt. Uh-huh. And then they meet up. I don't know where I, I'm gonna assume New York because all the musical magic <laughs> happens in New York City. He's going there to meet one lady. Yep. But he gets a two for one special. He gets both ladies. I saw Bette Midler in New York City a few years ago sing Hello Dolly, and I was just like, oh. And mm-hmm. he literally has like, oh my gosh, I'm getting to meet you. From mm-hmm. the, the ladies from the bathroom. And he knows exactly who they are. Like, oh, yeah. There's a little bit of like, are you? And then once he, he's just elated that he's found these two. I truly think he was only thrown off because he expected her to be alone. Yeah, I agree. And he was shocked that there were two of them. Yeah. And he couldn't believe what he was seeing. So he doubted for like a second and then was over the moon. I cream. Exactly. Yeah. It was so sweet. So yeah, so these ladies are also in this big grand finale at the end. It's wonderful. It's like all these collector guys, these actresses that he's met through the process. He's there in his sparkly jacket. He and Hank Beebe wrote this song together. It's this huge, there's dancers in the street. Very colorful, very bright. Singing and dancing in the street. It's what musicals do. It's why we love the musical theater. Yeah. Because we can't say things with words that we could we could say it so much better with dance and music. Yes. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. He also talks about how in the recent years, like in the last decade, this has kind of resurfaced a little bit. It all kind of went away um, yeah. for a long time. And then recently it's come back. There's been like a Walmart musical in the last 10 years, there was something else, maybe McDonald's, he mentioned mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. as coming back. But um, it's kind of having a bit of a resurgence. And maybe thanks to Steve in a way, like thanks to this being a thing that is back sort of in the world that we never knew we were missing. And now we have. Now we have it. Uh, interrupting Bob here, just chiming in because I, I for, forgot what I was going to say. Back to the show. So, Jeremy, we don't rate documentaries in a star rating scale. Okay. We rate in Herzogs. Herzogs. So, what's going to happen is you are going to give your little brief, like, thoughts about the documentary. Mm -hmm. 
and then you're going to give it one through five Herzogs. I'll do the same, and I'll give it one through five Herzogs. Then we put our Herzogs together, mm-hmm. and that is our rating for this documentary. Really quickly, is a Herzog a good thing? In nature here is vile and base. I wouldn't see anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and growing and just rotting away. It's a great thing. It's better than a star. Okay, so five Herzogs. Is the top. It's like you love it so much. Mm. Three is sort of what, I mean, listen, there's a little bit of a disagreement among documenteers, but three is sort of like it was a good average, Uh you know? Uh Um, If you really don't like it, a one, a Mm. two. I don't know that I've given anything a super low score just because I've lucked out and seen some pretty good ones. Yeah. And if you want me to, I can go first. Okay. This is your first time here. This documentary was amazing. Like I said, I was happy the whole time. I'm so glad I saw it. I'm so glad that we now have this little piece of history that we didn't know we didn't have for so long. I was excited to see it. I also just love going to the theater. I think I was just in a really good mood that day also. But I really, really loved it. I wouldn't say it was perfect, but it was really good. And... Oh, we do quarters as well, just so you oh, know. Oh, I was hoping. I was hoping like Star Search back we in, the, in the 90s. We do. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. So I feel like it's, I think I'm going to give it a 4.25. Okay. 4.25. I really think it's really good, especially if you're interested at all in this, but you don't have to be. The song at the very end was just talking about how like you have to take chances in your life and just explore something. So you could look at this whole thing like we have the love of musicals. You know musicals much better than I do. And so loving it kind of from seeing this other part of this world we didn't know about. But then there's also just the idea of this man who this was his hobby that grew into this huge, enormous thing that ended up meaning so much more in his life. And it would have never happened if he hadn't just like bought that record. And just like take a chance. Like I think the song was called like Take a Step. Mm-hmm. So it was like just make that first step. So I just thought it was very inspirational. So yeah, I'm going to say 4.25. So I will see your 4.25. <laughs> and I was going to say four and a quarter. So nice. we're right on the same thing. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, it does exactly what... Okay, so for me as a director, as a performer, I do love like dramatic pieces, but... I also am thrilled when you're able to take whatever stresses that are going on in your personal life Mm -hmm. and being able just to, just to disconnect that, you know, your frustrations with work or your frustrations with finances, you know, you're able just to connect or your health. So those issues that you may be having with your finances, with your health or with your job, and you're able just to forget about it for one split second and you know you're able to forget about those problems and just truly sit back and and relax and have a great time and that to me is what good musical theater is Mm -hmm. I, i mean i do love my serious musicals same i do love them but I love the tappy, happy, let's <laughs> go. We're, we just met and we fell in love. And that is what this reminded me of. It, it's shocking. It's There's some places that are some really bad pieces <laughs> of music, but just the same. And I think perhaps it's the big 
bow that they put on the end of it that kind of like, oh, this is why we love musicals. Yeah. This is why we love musicals, just to have a fun time and enjoy it. So definitely, definitely the message, the positivity of of going after dreams and seeing your dreams through no matter what they might be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say it's a 4.25 for me as well. I, it, it's not the best documentary I've ever seen. No. But it's certainly not a bad documentary at all. No. And it was, it just made me super happy. Yeah. It just made me so happy. So we take your 4.25 and my 4.25, and that makes this an 8.5 on the Herzog scale. Bathtubs over Broadway, 2018, directed by Dava Wisnant, 8.5. Nature here is violin. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for having me. Thanks I'll, for being here. I hope we get to do it again. Me too. Will there be another documentary about musicals? I don't know. <laughs> oh, there are several. There's one called Every Little Step. I have it on DVD. Do you? <laughs> well, maybe we should do that. It's about different actors trying to make it into the revival of a chorus line. I knew it was a new chorus line. Yeah. I do love that one. That's Every Little Step is a song in chorus line. Every step I take, you will be there. Or is that like a line from it? I'm sure it is. I knew it as soon as you said it. So maybe it's familiar. It's familiar for some reason. I don't know. But yeah, I think hopefully we can do this again. And I know I'm sure Bob's going to do some sort of like bumper on this and just remind everybody to like and rate and subscribe. But listen, if you haven't given us a rating yet, you should. And then if you want to give us a review, you should say something about how excellent of a host Angela is and how really this should probably be her podcast. And we don't really even need Bobby anymore because I'm such a better host than he is. If just one person says that Angela is a better host than Bob, my whole year will be made. Cheese nuts. (laughs) Oh, Oh, here he is. One more time. Hello. Hey, did you uh, do the songs? Did you do the songs? Yeah, we've got one. It goes like this. Everything's coming, coming up, up cheese nuts. That's perfect. <laughs> have you tried the new Asiago coconut? Can't say that I have. Well, we're going to get uh, a crate of it as payment for this great ad sponsorship. And uh, I'll try to save you some, okay? <laughs> okay. Thank you, Doritos, by the way, and Frito-Lay and all Frito-Lay products. Uh, I'm about to drive into a tunnel. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Cool. Let's hope Bob gets out of that tunnel. Jeremy, thank you again. Thanks for having me. And hey, guys, keep on docking. Are we done? We're done. Hey. I creep. Another one of my favorites, uh, and again, this is uh, quite popular a couple of years ago. This album is entitled um, (laughs) How to Buy Meat. Uh, This is public service announcements from the United States Department of Agriculture's Food and Safety Quality Service. And uh, when I show this album to my friends, they say, Dave, 
You've heard this a million times on the radio. Why do you waste your time with the album? <laughs> That's true, but the fidelity is always much better when you have the album. And tonight we're going to hear, uh, I believe this is something called Tender Broilables. Listen closely. Tender Broilables. Any time is a good time for broiling thick, juicy steaks, indoors or out. What kind of steaks? Tenderloin, porterhouse, T-bone, sirloin, or rib steaks. They're all naturally tender and excellent for broiling in the top USDA quality grades. Prime, choice, and good. Prime is the top grade, and choice is almost as high in quality. For more information, write How to Buy Meat, to Agriculture buy meat. Radio, Washington, 20250. This is part of the show. Okay. Hi, America. I'll be back tomorrow, cause I can't decide today. No, 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 no. Don't let her be back. No, no. Don't let her be back. Get away. 